The opinions expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. And the recording is running on this Monday night, June 22nd, 2020. This is Digest number four of the Anime Roundtable version two. Once again, if you have any comments, animeroundtable at gmail.com is our email. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at animeroundtable and animeroundtable.com for our website and blog. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your material. So the original purpose of the digests was to give a quick discussion on one topic or headline in a timely manner. And much like everything else concerning the history of this podcast, it hasn't gone that way, except maybe tonight. In a timely follow-up to what we talked about last week on Studio Ghibli Works on Canadian streaming services, word came down today that Netflix Canada has acquired the rights to the entire catalog of 21 features. And so we want to give an instant analysis and thoughts to that news. Mike Nicholas here at the Six Point Studio in the Toronto West End again. James Austin and Kevin Ng join me as well from their homes in the suburbs out west. And this time around, we're joined by Jesse Betteridge from the Zanin Canada podcast way out west in Vancouver. Much, much further west. <laughs> yes. Well, his presence makes this a perfect chance to talk about this. So, uh, Jesse, thanks for joining us tonight on such short notice, especially since I know you're coming off of work for the day there. I just came off of yet another uh, wonderful remote shift, and I'm exhausted, but I'm, uh, you know, always exci- always happy to be on the show and definitely excited to talk about Studio Ghibli streaming. Well, you have a, you have a couple chances to brag in the next couple minutes. First reaction, well, the first word I got of it was from a friend on his Facebook page, and then I want to see if you knew about it. Then I looked at your Twitter as I was contacting you, and then you put up the words resolved faster than expected. So what's your initial reaction, though, Jesse? And then I'll ask the other two. My initial reaction is not very terribly surprised. Uh, the fact that that Crave and other services didn't have these films up right away at the same time that HBO Max had them in uh, the United States shows that they probably weren't willing to put up the money for them because uh, um, Studio Ghibli films, I'm I'm sure, were um, extravagantly expensive to get the streaming rights for. Um, on that note, are, are we going to have a chance to kind of go over just what the situation is with Studio Ghibli streaming overall? I just want to get an initial reaction from James and oh, Kevin. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and then, we'll, then we can start to go through the genesis of all of this just quickly, like the quick history. James, what's your initial thought just in a couple seconds? Uh, as Just like Jesse, nothing really surprising on this front. It was just a matter of who G-Kids went to because they were probably the ones that were doing it on behalf of Ghibli and stuff like that for North American market. And it was either going to be Bell Media or it was going to be Netflix. So they probably played it off each other and it somehow got resolved quicker than any of us thought. Kevin? I guess I should have seen this coming. I was just thinking that maybe, oh, as per last episode, I was thinking maybe Bell was just sitting on it for whatever reason, but I think that 
this is as good of a resolution as we could have gotten. And about time. From my standpoint, I'm looking at this as a consumer, and I can cancel my Crave subscription, I think, by the end of the month. Even though uh, last week tonight is still a good hook for me. That's what I was going to say. You don't want to watch John Oliver anymore? Oh, I'm a huge fan. So You can still uh, get the bulk of each episode on YouTube every week. Or no, they, oh, wait a minute. Or did they start blocking those? Did they, uh, did they start blocking those? I don't think so. I was able to watch them. I know sometimes it's region locked, but I think it's still easy to find. And well, Mike, just find a family member who has a cable subscription and mooch oh, off of their login. That's, that's how everyone else does it, okay? That's how it works a lot of the time. And on top of that, actually the show will be on hiatus for much of July anyway. So There you go. Where do we start? Because I know that the announcement for Studio Ghibli stuff on Netflix was in late January. So I guess that's sort of where we start. Well, Mike, I think it starts a little earlier than that. Because for the longest time, it was believed that uh, that Studio Ghibli simply did not want their content available digitally at all. They only wanted it to be distributed either theatrically or on home video. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, they wanted- held this stance for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they and- want that movie theater experience and stuff like that. And we kept hearing that for years, right? So what happened then? What happened here? Okay, before that, I think in the fall, HBO Max was announced to get the streaming rights for obviously the U.S., but many thought it would have been Canada as well. So I, so it's not just January. I, I, we can go back into the fall, and, I believe. And even before that, G-Kids kind of made an earth-shattering announcement when they said that they were offering the, the films to purchase, download to own. That's uh, what I was saying, too, yeah. yeah. Download to Own was the first wave and stuff like that. And there were, I think it was Polygon had the article and then there was confusion and then they finally, the dust settled. Yeah. Yeah. Basically they, they had that article. I, I can't remember who had that interview on there. I think it was with, with Toshio Suzuki where he said that Studio Ghibli films would never be made available digitally. And then like within, I think 72 hours, it was announced that the, uh, the films would be made available download to own and that HBO max would be streaming them in the United States when the service launched in, in 2020. So, you know, we got a laugh out of that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, And I think they said that reporting, unfortunately he had looked and sourced it from other things. They hadn't exactly gone to the source. It wasn't primary sources. So that kind of looked really bad on them to say the least, because I think it was almost next day that, G kids made that announcement. It's like, how did that happen? So your belief is like this has been an ongoing thing. It sounded like, like, like we had to kind of do a little bit of massaging here and there. But I think it's something that has developed over time too, Mike. Because you look at Disney and stuff like that. How it felt like they just kind of sat like the creators at Disney knew what Ghibli was and the value of it, but it seemed everyone above didn't and they kind of lost sight of what they had and just kept on sitting on things because hey if it had been an alternate reality maybe it would have been on disney plus but it wasn't and then g kids i guess through the uh film festival they have in new york and they were building their brand and stuff like that brought the trust from uh, ghibli and they've been doing those ghibli fests 
So they've been showing the films in the theater the way they want. So you have that aspect of it and they're still doing it. And then that probably brought on the education and stuff like that, that they were able to make these deals to make streaming deals and download to own. And it'll be in tandem with the Blu-ray DVD physical releases and the theatrical screenings. Okay. Well, on that, on that topic, let's talk about missed opportunities here. Because, Jesse, I looked at your tweets this afternoon, and you mentioned talking that this was, you found it disappointing that uh, Strictly Canadian Service never got it, CBC and Bell. And I can see where you're starting to go with that. And obviously, there's now a little bit of, you know, we, we all like to play theories and, and what have you. And I can see where the missed opportunities on both sides could have been. I mean, with Crave and Bell, they could have leveraged that. They're, they're, they're one of the main sponsors of TIFF. They sponsor the Lighthouse, the main theater for TIFF's year-round activities. And TIFF Lightbox was known to have shown Ghibli films. Ghibli Fest stuff, right? Yep, and they also yeah. had some premieres that other theaters didn't, like Ocean Waves, I remember. Mm -hmm. this, this, so that would have been quite an opportunity just to tie the, tie the bell and crave names to this. So you, you, there was a lot of opportunities there. And you would have thought, with all the partnerships that Bell Media have been making, especially with, a, with HBO, most notably, because that's a big bone of contention for Canadian consumers. You would have thought they could have been able to get that in some form. What, ha what, what would have happened there? Is it just because they well, weren't willing? Yeah. I, I think you're overestimating how much these dots connect in a massive um, vertically integrated conglomerate like Bell. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think that whoever works with, um, with TIFF under Bell has any connection whatsoever to uh, who deals with, with Crave or, or anything like that. The the key thing is that Crave has a deal with HBO in the United States. And they, you know, they they really ironed all this out in like late tw late 2018 early 2019 where if you 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 basically if you subscribe to Crave you have access to basically all that is HBO for, you know, a bit of a premium price. And that deal evolved into their current deal with HBO Max in the United States. And it's, excuse me, it's probably the main reason that we are not getting HBO Max, which was something that Warner was very unclear about for a number of months. Uh, mm, the fact that, that HBO Max would in fact be a US only service. And it's because the HBO rights are scattered uh, like crazy all over the planet. It's uh, compared to Disney Plus, who reined in their rights for basically everything over the course of a few years before launching the service. Um, in, in a fairly consistent manner everywhere in the world. Well, okay, it's, it's not completely global yet, but I think it's in most major markets now, at least. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, Warner's strategy with HBO Max has been US only, which is probably the... <laughs> which well, the uh, might be the, the, the probably their biggest misstep with all that. But the key thing is that because of that partnership with HBO, uh, Crave made a deal with Warner that they would carry HBO Max content. But the problem is the only content that that deal covered, and this was clarified back in, uh, in late 2019, is that it would cover HBO original content, which with a, you know, an HBO Max as a service where 
It includes content from Cartoon Network. It includes content from Adult Swim, Crunchyroll. Well, Crunchyroll Originals more specifically, right? Uh, no, just Crunchyroll in general. But it, right. it, it curated content from all those different services. Uh, a lot of content that's not available streaming anywhere else. The HBO Max original content is probably the stuff that people care the least about. And it is the only thing that the deal with Crave actually covered. And it's actually become apparent now that uh, that deal not only didn't cover Studio Ghibli content, it actually didn't cover anything animated on HBO Max, including content that's branded as HBO Max Originals. Uh, It does not include Looney Tunes cartoons. It does not include the new Adventure Time miniseries. Uh, It does not include uh, any of the new Boondocks, any of the new series that are animated that are coming to HBO Max, which which is ridiculous yeah i was about to say the same wow. thing now we That's were already crazy, I was, we joked actually last episode the friends reunion is set to be on hbo max right yeah if i'm not mistaken now that would be hilarious if that didn't make it but it'll probably i'd like to think it will uh, know. who knows i mean netflix, know. i mean famously famously netflix still has friends in canada so that's, it's a total that's wild card wrinkle yeah that's yeah. the interesting wrinkle in all of that so but oh i grant that i was grasping on straws on yeah. where uh, on that so but here's the thing because I of that much credit but i had to start somewhere it it shows a couple things one that crave doesn't care about animation at all obviously um and you know is anyone's guess who is going to pick up the 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 rights to all that content as it as it once you just released. mentioned um, and also, but it also created a bit of an expectation that Crave would be the service that would get the Studio Ghibli films. And I, I think you saw a lot of that speculation going on. And in that time, uh, when I think, I think you were going to be moving on to this, uh, after HBO Max announced that they would be streaming the films in the United States, it was announced that Netflix had licensed Studio Ghibli films internationally for streaming mm-hmm. everywhere in the world. Uh, that you know Netflix is available in, except for the U.S., Canada, and Japan. Mm-hmm. And of course, Japan is different because they're the the domestic market for for Studio Ghibli films. U.S. is covered by HBO Max, but Canada? What about That's, Canada? Yeah, what about the, Canada? Uh, yeah. they, so well, and then and then of course three and then three other countries, which well, that's another story altogether. Yeah, there are there are four countries that Netflix are not available in: uh, Crimea, Syria, North Korea, and China. So those are the uh, those were the other four countries where you couldn't stream uh, Studio Ghibli films, um, and th- that in, is in any way. Yeah, we, we, and how how it all settled down was just plain hilarious, and hence where we are now. It's just no one's complaining though. I don't think anybody's complaining tonight. That well, one thing that really surprised me was during that period of time where there was no streaming option confirmed, how few people <laughs> were complaining. Uh, I thought people would be more up in the arms over the fact that Canada was one of only five countries or five or six countries on earth that mm-hmm. six, uh, you I couldn't believe. watch. Uh, yeah. Six countries on earth where you couldn't watch studio Ghibli streaming, but um, there wasn't like a lot of backlash going on. Uh, but when it was announced, there was a lot of celebrating. So, well, because I think it was, I read those reports, and I think a lot of people are under the assumption we'd see it on Crave through the Max deal. Yeah. You just explained, obviously, why that wouldn't have been the case, but I remember reading those articles at the time. Well, yeah. 
Yeah, and and again, yeah, Crave has shown that they obviously they they don't seem to have a lot of priority for animation in general, and hmm. uh, and you know as you were alluding to, uh, Bell and of course CBC, who runs CBC Gem, which would be the other big candidate for hosting uh, or, or for streaming Studio Ghibli content in in Canada. Um, obviously, despite the fact that Studio Ghibli films are incredibly expensive to license for for online streaming, uh, easily companies like Bell and CBC could have afforded those rights. But and I have no doubt that they had both looked into the Studio Ghibli films, especially uh, even CBC. I, I, I don't know about CBC totally, totally, totally. because they'd be under the public microscope because that'd be a big deal. That'd be a lot of money in my they, mind. They well, they they I mean they they've licensed other third party content. So British stuff from what I could gather. Yeah. But well, okay. Maybe, maybe not, maybe it's not as clear cut as I, as I suggested, but in any case, I have no doubt that they, they all looked into it and you know, it's really disappointing because the fact that the, uh, you know, the, the most prominent media companies in Canada, at least for English speaking content, uh, wouldn't pay money for Studio Ghibli films, even if it's a lot of money, kind of suggests that they don't see the value in those films, which I think is uh, kind of devastating, especially when, you know, as, as I go on about in um, my own podcast is on in Canada, I feel that like the Canadian media ecosystem and the companies that represent it really don't value or understand anime in, in, uh, in any way. And the fact that that would go as far as like the studio something as well known as the Studio Ghibli films, it's uh, kind of disappointing because I think it's really it's really important for anime to kind of have a place in that whole ecosystem. And it's just, you know, it's so hard. It's just so hard for it to carve any kind of space in there. And uh, Studio Ghibli would have been a great opportunity to like kind of get that foot in the door, get a service to, you know, get these high profile movies out and available and also give them data and viewership information, establishing that, hey, you know, people like anime, maybe we should pursue this more. Maybe this should be a part of, you know, what what media is in Canada, rather than just something people have to, to, to get from third-party services. Well, for me, it would have established something with a more of a younger demographic that everybody seems to want to try and hook. Like a demographic that's in the 40-ish and younger range. That might have helped there. And it would be prestige content as well, Mike, because remember, it's like they've been nominated for so many Oscars and Miyazaki won one for Spirited Away and stuff like that. So they have the pedigree there, too, if you think about it. Hmm. Well, the other angle to me with, with the CBC side would have been any, leveraging any you know, external content. I mean, I just watched the first episode of NHK's four-part documentary with Hayao Miyazaki, which I know you mentioned to me, Jesse, was actually some compiled stuff. I mean, they've actually filmed a whole bunch of documentary content with uh, Studio Ghibli and, and Miyazaki back when The Wind Rises was being produced. Mm-hmm. And most of it has just been cut up and, and edited into various projects. Uh, that's my understanding, at least. Maybe they've they've done some other things. But like... Uh, Kingdom of Dreams of Madness and Neverending Man. It's all it's all taken from that that same um, pool of that, that same pool. Of pool. Yeah. yeah. Well, for reference, part, the first part of Ten Years with Miyazaki is set in 2006, just as he started to work on Ponyo, 
Oh, okay, okay. It goes back even further then, yeah. And around the time Tales of Earthsea uh, came out, basically, it, the two stories in that in that first part were him trying to get trying to get to Ponyo off the ground and some of the frustrations he had in in preparing for that, and also the side story was more also his relationship with his son. As Tales of Earthsea came out, and you realize there isn't really a warm relationship between the two, between Hayao and Goro. It was uh, pretty eye-opening. At least I'd be surprised that. if there was a warm relationship between Hayao Miyazaki and anyone. <laughs> frankly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that too, yeah. It's yeah. like he he had he in recent years he had started to gain that reputation of not being the most cuddly character to deal with. I, I can start to see it in that documentary. He was a man of his age, that's for sure. <laughs> that's one way to put it, actually. But from it, from that documentary, as I watch it, because I, I watched it just before we came on air tonight, and all those stories about having to convince him on streaming services, I could start to see why you had to kind of sell him on that, just the way he, he acted in that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, story, the story that was making the rounds was the fact that Toshio Suzuki was able to convince Hayao Miyazaki to make the films available uh, streaming simply because he didn't really understand what online streaming was, which is, you know, obviously I'm sure that there was more, <laughs> more, more discussion that went on than that, but and yeah. yeah, there's probably more to it, but Suzuki's definitely the one that's the business side of it. And probably he pushed through some of that, but there've been weird stories. I know with Suzuki, you remember about the merchandising and stuff like that, where they said, they could only hit a certain amount of profit and stuff like that for their merchandising. And Suzuki just didn't go to those meetings for a few years. So people kept on pushing stuff out into the market. And when he saw, he's like, what the bleep is this, guys? It's like, where did all this money come from? And so, so a lot of people got in trouble for that. There's some crazy stories like that. Yeah. I can't remember what period of time that was. It was probably in the aughts and then uh, the early part of this decade, I'm sure. Well, keep in mind, like I've, I have a lot to catch up on. I mean, the end of the aughts is when I actually stopped for a while watching. Basically, the the purgatory of this uh, podcast happened around the same time, right? So, just going through the list, it's twenty. They say twenty one features. Do we want to list all twenty one that was in the Twitter entry today? Just just quickly. Never mind. I think most people know anyway. The only one is that uh, the wind rises is going to be on August 1st and stuff like that. And uh, we don't know why that is. We do know that maybe it's to tie in with the fact that the Blu-ray DVD is being re-released by G-Kids in September. But for whatever reason, yeah. it's going to be the last one to come out. Disney released that one under Touchstone back in the day. So that, yeah, may, have caused, so that may have caused like a delay in the, the rights being transferred. That's speculation, but... Yeah. That's a very likely, yeah. That could I could see that for sure. Yeah, and, and also worth emphasizing that Grave of the Fireflies is, of course, not of course. It's not a part of this deal because uh, and, it's, it's always Sentai. it's always been separate. Yeah, yeah and Sentai has it, and I don't think they're letting their paws off that since they did a re-release of a steelbook of that in February, and they want that thing that says produced by Studio Ghibli, which is prominently featured on that one too. And Which is really funny because their first Blu-ray release of that uh, actually misspelled uh, Isao Takahata's name on the on the uh, the copy on the back. Oh, you know boy. what they call that, Jesse? Especially in the video game community, collector's edition to sell for a lot of money because of spelling mistakes, <laughs> just oh. like Resident Evil. 
You know, Kevin can kind of attest to that. Kevin, you have something to mention? Oh, I was just saying how I, I took a quick look on High Dive, and it's not streaming there either. Brave of the Fireflies, that is. Really? Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, no, so, unfortunately, no. So that's just not an option right now, streaming, is it? It doesn't sound like it. No. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm looking through the list one more time, and I mean, it's, a, it's an extensive list. It seems like, I mean, you know, top to bottom. Ocean Waves is mentioned. I mean, I've always mentioned uh, that's still a personal favorite of mine, so yeah, it's mentioned. That, that was an interesting one, Mike, because as I said, I think they only had two showings here in Ontario, and they were all at TIFF Lightbox and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. And well, we never so thought that was going to come, too, because that's one of the few ones that's sub-only, right? And you always think of Studio Ghibli, that they always put out uh, a nice dub and stuff like that with it, but that one's a tough one to sell to anyone I know. It's just a very okay. weird film. Hmm. Not even a film, well, TV special. <laughs> that is, it is a TV special. It is a special. So. Yes, but I, I, for some strange reason, I really liked it. I, does that's just me? Well, is there, like I've already mentioned mine, but I'll probably mention two more. Is there a title in this list that you think people don't really know about, or that's Only kind of under the radar that you would want to say just uh, for a watch on Thursday? Only yesterday. Only yesterday. Yeah. In your case. James? It, it's wondering. hard to say because a lot of them have been out and recommended to people for a number of years and stuff like that. So I think I say most people have probably already seen. But if I think about one off the top of my head, I would say take a look at My Neighbors, uh, the Yamadas, because that's okay. a comedy one. Yeah. And it's a very different style compared to any of the other Ghibli films. Jesse? Yeah, statistically speaking, you the, the yeah, there's the highest chance that you that a person hasn't watched, you know, only yesterday or Ocean Waves or My Neighbors the Yamadas. So, um, unless there's something else you haven't watched, you should definitely watch one of those ones. For me, well, only because I just watched the documentary and it was based around that time frame. I'm now really curious to see both Tales of Earthsea and Ponyo. Just because they're like they're they're the two in the chron and the order, and they were the subject of the first part of Ten Years with Miyazaki. I'll have to admit, uh, Tales from Earthsea is the one I have never watched, and I still don't really intend to. <laughs> yeah, it's just everything that surrounds now. Now you, we get, we can get a sense of the internal strife that kind of surrounded that film, with in terms of Goro and Hayao. I mean, Miyazaki was known to not want him to be involved in such a way. I mean, that's that's an old story. And we get to see some of that story play out in, in the documentary. Yeah. And also there's his second film from up on Poppy Hill that I uh, mm-hmm. I, I think has been not as uh, widely seen as uh, mm-hmm. as that's the, mentioned the as, so that's that, in the list. That course. one I was very fond of. It it kind of reminds me of only yesterday in the sense that like it's of a bygone time and in this I believe it was the sixties. For Poppy Hill, and it really so, just a, a very surprising uh, depiction of the '60s. Not something you'd ever see in like anime that was made in the '60s. Not 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 the world they wanted to portray in in those kinds of shows. Okay, well, that's as much as I want to talk talk about. Is there anything else we want to bring up concerning all of this? Because I think I think like looking at my stuff. Oh, I, I, there's one final note. Oh, this is going back a second and. This is in my own show notes. 
and it's kind of beating a dead horse. So we may, uh, I may actually omit it in the post-production. There's a note here that I wrote that said, what was the possibility Crunchyroll would have gotten in on this? Uh, maybe not. I mean, that, that, we, we've gone too far down the conversation. I've never talked about that. Not likely. No, they wanted like a more general release and stuff like that. I don't think they would go for a niche uh, streaming platform. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to really galaxy brain it, uh, I mean, you, there could have been the possibility that HBO Max had licensed the U.S. and Canadian rights from G Kids, uh, and uh, but then, of course, they don't have an outlet. Uh, without HBO Max, there's no proper outlet, but because they have the same, they're owned by the same company, or rather Crunchyroll are owned by the same company, they would have just thrown it out on Crunchyroll. That would have been a very bad move because, again, you're reaching a a, a niche audience whereas those those films really need to be on a a service that um, a general service, a a much more general service. Mm -hmm. Um, On that note, it's it's probably worth emphasizing that because I, I don't think we touched on this earlier, the rights for the Studio Ghibli films are different um, inside the U.S. and Canada and outside. In Canada and the U.S., it's owned by G-Kids. Outside of Canada and the U.S., the films are owned by a company called The Wild Bunch, which is one out okay. of France. When Netflix licensed the Studio Ghibli films for international streaming, they did it through The Wild Bunch. So to get these films on Netflix... Uh, obviously required a completely separate deal with G kids. Uh, so it's kind of, it's kind of a separate thing from what we're seeing internationally. They probably had to uh, pay a, a considerable sum just for the Canadian rights specifically, whereas they probably got like a m- more of a package deal for the rest of the world, which is uh kind of, kind of funny, but uh, you know, at least they were willing to pay for it. Yeah, it was. Okay. Well, that's as much as I want to talk about on, on the Ghibli deal. As I said, uh, something to look forward to on Thursday. So uh, good news if you're a Canadian anime fan. Uh, but boy, we had we kind of had to go through a bunch of detours to get here. Yeah. I mean, I have most of the movies on Blu-ray anyway, and that's probably how I'll continue to watch them. But oh, no, I'm, it, I'm glad it, that a broader audience has access to them on on Netflix now. Uh, that's the, that's the thing. Well, I got the original um, Disney releases of uh, a lot of them, and I even got some of the the actual Japanese DVDs, strangely, too, at the time. Okay, so, well, almost done. But uh, as I said, thanks uh, thanks a lot, Jesse, for uh, doing this on very short notice. I do want you to give you, give you a chance to give a plug for Zan in Canada because actually I did listen to the latest episode earlier earlier today. When yeah. We talked- I'm across plus. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you if you don't know who I am, I'm from a I run my own podcast called Zon in Canada, which explores the connections between anime and Canadian media. We do, you know, I do interviews with like voice actors or people who have been involved in in similar productions in some capacity. We do retrospectives on shows that have had a uh, notable cultural impact. In Canada, uh, the latest one is on Macross Plus. To be perfectly honest, I'm not I'm not entirely happy with how that episode turned out. I uh, was a little unprepared, and I don't think I uh, um, had the best notes or touched all the best points when when going through it and focusing mainly on you know when Macross Plus aired on Teletoon back in the the late '90s. Um, but I also recently did uh, an episode looking at Mini Fay, uh, which is the Quebec produced dub of Sally the Witch, which is the first ever 
Magical Girl anime. And that was actually also the first ever Canadian produced dub uh, for an anime. Also the first dub ever produced in the French language and quite possibly the <laughs> first anime dub ever produced by a woman as well. Um, I can't 100% confirm that. Uh, it's difficult to, but it, it, that does seem to be the case from from what I what I've from what I what I've seen. So uh, check out that episode for sure if you haven't. And uh, I got a couple cool interviews coming up soon. I don't want to say what they are because I haven't recorded them yet, and you know, no no telling what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, keep your eye on it. Uh, you can find Z- uh, Zon in Canada at zonin.ca. Uh, subscribe on Spotify, uh, Spotify, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts. Yeah. Yes. And uh, you know, pretty much any anywhere else you can find podcasts, you can well, find Zon in Canada. Well, as I said, you're selling yourself short. I think uh, I enjoyed the Macross episode. Just for reference, I know you said it wasn't the most well researched, but you did you didn't make me say hmm uh, a couple of times, and that's always worth something, at least to me. I, and- I I wish we had talked more about Brian Cranston and how I want to see Brian Cranston do more comedy again. Oh yeah, yeah. wouldn't that be interesting? Considering all the stuff he has done, like th- that man is. Yeah, he's, he's quite a success story. Yeah. Oh yeah, he, that's that's the, that's you took the words out of my mouth. You did, and also uh, just for reference, uh, Jesse, I know you can you can brag a little bit because this whole discussion we just had on Ghibli stuff, in many respects, you had a, had earlier this year. If you want to plug that, that yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, episode sixty five. I mean, usually at some point early in the year, we do a lot of speculating about what we think is going to happen with uh, with anime. Uh, we, we know with things like streaming rights or broadcast um, or anything, we're usually wrong about our predictions, uh, like ninety five percent of the time. Uh, so we just kind of th- th- this this year, what we did in episode sixty five, we just you know talked about a bunch of things like you know is Canada going to get tsunami? What's going to happen with Studio Ghibli films? What's going to happen with the Viz content on Hulu in the states that we still can't watch here? And that's probably still you know the biggest problem with accessing anime in in Canada is that that goddamn Viz content. Um, <laughs> And we just we just thought of every possible outcome that could happen for all those situations and laid them out. Uh, and you know, as as I mentioned earlier, Netflix getting Studio Ghibli films that wound up being a pretty strong possibility. We we, we pretty much determined it was either going to be Crave or Netflix. So uh, you know, like I said, not obvious, right? Not surprised that it wound up on Netflix. Uh, I thought it was going to take a little longer, but uh, yeah, no, we got them pretty quickly. Which is nice. No, as, as I said, it was a. Uh... Good news, but uh, you can toot your own horn, or you've sort of earned that today. <laughs> sure. <sighs> well, that's about it, I suppose. Nothing else to really talk about. As I said, one topic to plug, and that's about it. So, uh, any other thoughts, though, before we go? Nothing else? Uh, no, I'm- I'll say one thing. Sure, go ahead. Uh, in terms of underrated stuff, uh, I would say... Just watch any of Takahata's stuff. Hmm. I mean, if you <laughs> want to go really underrated, watch Takahata's stuff from before he was uh, involved with, or before Studio Ghibli opened. Um, you know, Chie the, Bra- Chie the Brat, or uh, Gauch the Cellist, or uh, or uh, Hor- Horus, Prince of the Sun. Um, actually, you, you can't buy most of those. You can't get Horus. Uh, that is on Blu-ray from... Uh, Discotech. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Did that? Did that one show up on Retro Crush? I don't think it did. I didn't. Uh, 
Oh, yeah, but you never know. I might. Who knows? It'll probably be on Retro Crush uh, eventually. I I wish his uh his older films would uh would get licensed here, especially Chie the Brat. Uh, but I I imagine there's some obstacles towards that. Jesse, I owe you a coffee sometime. If well, you know what I mean. Uh yeah yeah absolutely sure. I'll, I appreciate uh, it. I'll send <laughs> that along sometime. Okay, checks in the mail. <laughs> thanks for doing this, Jesse. No problem. Always blogger. James, Kevin, thanks for thanks for doing it on such short notice as well. No problem. You're welcome. That's pretty much it. That's all we have for uh, this episode. Thanks for listening. Have a good night, folks.